Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you can read and listen whenever you want. This month's pick is Gus Moreno's This Thing Between Us. It is our first foray into horror. Yes, it is gory. Yes, it is terrifying. But it also does a lot with themes around grief and identity and belonging, and we are going to dive into it all. First, here is your spoiler warning. If you have not read this book and you don't want to know what happens, this is not the episode for you go listen to the author interview that we have in the feed if you haven't read the book and you are totally cool with knowing what happens or if you have read the book we are very glad to have you i'm also super excited to discuss this book with two excellent nerds with us this month we have gabino iglesias he's a writer reader and editor of book reviews for pank magazine he also reviewed this book for npr gabino welcome how are you doing? I'm stoked to be here. Yay, we're stoked to have you. We also have the co-owner of an indie bookstore here in Chicago called Exile in Bookville, our buddy Javier Ramirez. Javier, hello. Thanks for having me on, Greta. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yay, thanks for coming. Okay, so as always, we will also be hearing from some delightful listeners. Um, First, I want to say I imagine most people listening have read the book already, but just in case, here's a brief synopsis. Um, This book is written in the second person, which is fascinating. We have our protagonist, Thiago, who's essentially talking to his dead wife, Vera. She died after a long coma from a freak accident at a train station. And Thiago inherited her life insurance money and kind of escapes Chicago to go to Colorado. And a bunch of crazy shit happens there. Uh, We'll leave it at that for now. I think we should actually start off with a voicemail from a Nerdette listener. This is Stephanie in Texas. This book is going to haunt me for some time to come. Uh, I think Gus's writing is amazing, and I love how he alludes to a lot of classic horror while at the same time doing something 100% original with the theme of grief and blurring that line between the real and the imagined and the psychological horror that's connected to the main character's grief. I really, the scene with when we first meet the cook in the diner, in particular, that one stands out to me as being one of the creepiest scenes of the novel. For some reason, it just wormed its way into my brain. And also, I can't even talk about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think Stephanie brought up some really good points around um, sort of like paying homage to horror tropes and stuff. So I definitely want to talk about that. But first, Javier, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how Chicago this book feels. Gus is from Chicago. The beginning of this book takes place in a Chicago neighborhood called Pilsen. Was that something that stood out to you? I mean, there's not a lot of Chicago set books out in any given year. Exactly. Especially on the south side. Um, 
And, and it, it really did feel like a Chicago book. I was actually just in Pilsner and was at that train station, that train stop. And it like it all just came back to me, you know. Oh, that's so cool. So Javier, you mentioned the first third of the book. I feel like, I mean, it's almost a genre shift, you could argue, um, between like his time in Chicago and when he goes to Colorado. It was really interesting talking about this, even among the production team, because some of us really preferred one part over the other. Um, And like, I I really enjoyed the first chunk, I think the most. I You know, partly just because I'm not really a horror reader. Like when things get too supernatural it's like whoa what is happening um but i i mean i think there it was so much about just the intensity of the grief and as you were talking about that idea of kind of co-opting grief and then these political parties mm-hmm. co-opting his wife's death that all i thought was so fascinating and it just made me wonder like for either of you did did both kind of genres work for you? I guess, I mean, if you're both horror people, like Gabino, were you just kind of thrilled when it when it took the turn that it did? I feel like the diner scene is really kind of where things start to shift. Uh, my thing with horror, it's uh, it's mo- more or less where I started and uh, where I, I still am because that's that's what I like to review, what I like to write. Um, but I, I, you know, we have the, the easy to digest sort of pulpy, fun horror books to read. Uh, and I love those because I grew up on those um, just, you know, your typical zombie stories or, or your haunted house, which this in a way kind of is mm-hmm. um, <laughs> a haunted brain. But, uh, <laughs> but, right. But then uh, the end result of that is folks who read one horror book about vampires and then they decide the genre is not for them. Mm. And, and what Gus does in this book is say like, Hey, listen, we can talk about serious literature and mm-hmm. loss and grief and pain and, and, and weird, you know, visions and, and identity and, and multicultural families and border crossing yep. and, and, you know, someone's inability to, to fluctuate between languages, even though that it's part of their culture. And mm-hmm. by the way, um, we can tip our hats to like classic horror and have fun and make it weird and creepy. And there's like steps in the night and, and awful stuff mm-hmm. happening. Uh, and that's when I read one of those books, like this book, it's kind of like, see, the genre can do it all. <laughs> and that's why you you don't stop talking about it because it's like, I don't like horror. No, 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 no. You didn't like that one horror book. Yeah, that you read. Exactly. Read this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll talk. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Okay, let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Christina from Chicago. It's one of the better books that I've read in a long time. I found myself not being able to put it down. I also couldn't read it at night before bed because it was just like making me think that there were things in the house and in the shadows, especially um, the scene where um, Tiago and um, Diane come back to the cabin and Dr. Jacobson comes out of the woods and he's all like deformed and a zombie. Like that was just really freaky. Oh, my God. What was the scariest scene for you, Javier? Is there one that really sticks out to you? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think for me, the scariest scenes are the ones early on that sort of set the tone when they start receiving, Mm. you know, like a lie and and they didn't order or all those things that sort of happen um, uh, that are just sort of setting the table. Because I like the buildup, but also, yeah, the diner scene also, because it was all very, you know, it's that sort of that dreamlike sequence and you don't know what's real and what isn't. And I just, I, I can't wait for this to be uh, 
some sort of limited Netflix series or HBO series. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. The diner, like I can see that scene. Mm-hmm. Oh on yeah. TV. Yeah. And I can't wait for that, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. I actually listened to the audiobook and I like to listen to audiobooks. I like set the little sleep timer before I go to sleep. So I fall asleep listening to whatever book I'm listening to. And of course, the scene that I tried to fall asleep to was the dog having come back from the dead. And like, you know, this intense, like trying to like destroy this reanimated dog. I know. And I had to just laugh at how horrific it was. And like, here I am trying to like, you know, I'm like snuggled up in my little bed. I did lose sleep over this book. I mean, I, I'm not embarrassed to say that I, there were night, that night I slept with the lights on because I read it over one 24 hour period. Wow. Like I am not a fast reader. And I just could not put this down. I agree with with Gabino. Like, this is just a book that we're going to be talking about for a long time. Oh, it's amazing. So, Gabino, is there a scene that really stands out to you as being, like, just the scariest? For me, it was it was two of them. And, and the first one got a little bit of a help because I was reading about the steps in the, in the apartment early on. Mm. Uh, and the weird sounds. And uh, I really get into this kind of book. And then my ice maker decided to birth <laughs> some ice. <laughs> And the uh, I was like, what the fuck is that? And so, <laughs> so that one that one got tattooed in my brain forever uh, because of that That's occurrence. Crazy. And uh, <laughs> uh, when he finds the, the the thing, the rock, the whatever you want to call oh, it, yeah. out there in the woods, mm. and uh, because it's that moment where you realize it's build, building up, but then you have that oh my god, who's driving the bus? Like we're this is out of control. Mm-hmm. This is another mm. thing, and I don't know what it is. And it's, you know, that classic uh, fear of the unknown. So you feel like you're standing there and you're thinking, um, I either lost my mind um, and I have to accept it um, or, uh, or this is like way bigger than I ever expected. So th- those two are like tied in my brain. I had a similar experience. Um, I have this really nerdy watch called the Dork 2. And uh, it's when you push a button, it's just really cool looking watch. It's got a speaker on it. Um, and it, uh, when you push the button, it tells you the time. And it also tells you um, it, there's an alarm that we, I cannot deactivate. It goes on. It goes off at 1055 every night. It's either at a busy signal or it says, let's party, let's party, let's party. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> terrible. But, no, it gets worse. Recently, and I have not, I have not messed with this watch. Recently, on the hour, it will yell out. Dork, <laughs> and I'm a little freaked out after reading this book for the second time. More on this thing between us in just a minute. So as we've said, one major theme in this book is, of course, grief. And we heard from a Nerdette listener who called in about how that affected her. Let's take a listen. Hey Nerdette, this is Ava. I gotta say, I just found this book so, so sad. I had kind of braced myself for the horror elements and then was just really blindsided when it came to all of the grief. I had a hard time really paying much attention to like the horror and the scary things and the you know smart devices and how that would work because I just kept finding my mind wandering thinking about like death Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Partner's death, a family's death, and how that would affect my life. I cannot wait to hear what you all think about this book. Thanks. I just thought that was really fast. Like the idea that you can't even pay attention to the gory stuff because you're still so fixated on just that, the heaviness of that loss, I thought was a really powerful voicemail. Yeah, you know, I, and I, I, when, I, when, I, when I talk about this book with our customers, I do talk about that, but I, and I, I sort of, I kind of losing them a little bit. Then I, I back it up with, there's some, actually some heartfelt, funny moments in the beginning of this book, of this mm-hmm. book. When he's looking at the in the message book at the at the wake, and Mary, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I kind of want to make you read that. Do you have it in front of you? If you don't, it's okay. I do have it in front of me. Okay, so someone with your maiden name had written a message in the book, and right below was the squiggly handwriting of a child. It clicked in my head that this was your cousin, that cousin, <laughs> the one whose two boys both had sunken Richard Ramirez's eyes. It looked like the oldest one was forced to write something. He wrote, sorry, Theo and Thea, that Vera died, but life is life. That sunken Ramirez eyes, I laughed so hard because <laughs> I everyone had seen Richard Ramirez and 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 I could and I could picture those kids, you know, and then and then mm. layer his grief onto that. And it's but the, the last line in that chapter is I have people read that. And you guys know what I'm talking about, the end of the, the chapter. <laughs> it I I was I was dying, but also I was thinking. Why am I laughing so hard? He's head awake. But that's what <laughs> Gus does, right? Gus does his thing where he he balances them both. And I think there's got to be, like every ghost story has, you know, grief involved in it. But he just takes it to a, he just another level of, of just perfection. I think it's just a perfect book. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. It was interesting talking to him about it because apparently the second person thing took a while for him to figure out. Like it, he was writing, but it wasn't really clicking until he put it in the second person. Oh, and I don't know. I mean, there aren't that many books that I can name off the top of my head that use the second person. Gabino, do you think that was partly why it was as affecting as it was? It was, uh, but but I fully understand just how hard it is to to pull it off. Um, so that's just one of those things. I think we were talking about it at the, at the beginning. Uh, it's a debut, but you go like, wow, so what's next? Yeah. Because if you start yeah. that strong, like I'm already impressed. Uh, so, so give us more quickly. Yeah. So Javier, what did you think of the end? I thought it was brilliant. I, and, and it left me with questions, but I also didn't want those questions answered, you know? And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And what remind me what the last two pages is it pull me out of the wall? Yes, is that what he yeah, says? Yeah. You know what's crazy is that is not included in the audiobook. Oh, weird. It kind of blew my mind when we were talking about it today because two of us on the team had listened to it and Anna, our producer, had read it and she was like, Well, yeah, there's that whole thing. And we were both like, Wait, what? That's weird. Huh? <laughs> well, it, it's actually there. Probably your device uh, is possessed. <laughs> <with it up>. Exactly. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I hate when we get to the last few pages of a weird book and they go like, and then he woke up. Um, <laughs> it was all He was aliens. dead the whole time. Right. Yeah. It, was, it was the twin sister. Uh, <laughs> so I, I enjoyed the whole, no, you know what? I'm going to make it even worse. I'm going to yeah. go all out. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get weirder. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. I have to say, I mean, I still don't really know how to make sense of a lot of what happened towards the end, which I think is kind of arguably yeah. the point, yeah. right? But I will, right. I do think... Like the the train platform reveal was fucking insane. Like that did really like that, I think. And the moment where he goes to visit the guy 
in jail and there's the and and the guy like has to check with the guard Mm -hmm. to make to ask if he sees Tiago too like that moment I think is very haunting like that has really stuck with me it turned the novel on a dime there I was like oh shit (laughs) well what what are the first two-thirds of this book mean you know yes uh yeah and and I I, real quick I just want to say that you know I don't seek out books for for people of my color or my, you know, my cultural, my ethnicity. To, right. I don't do that. But I will say that I, some of what uh, Thiago goes through with, you know, being un-Mexican and not Mexican, because I, mm. I spoke Spanish when I was a kid. I can't speak it now. Like I, if I'm thrown into, you know, I'm in middle Mexico, I'm sure I, it would come to me, but I, I, I feel like like I'm, I'm a lapsed Mexican, and I there was a, there were a lot of parallels to my growing up as Thiago, and I really there was I was not expecting that at all, and it made me think about you know who I am, you know. So it was I, there were just like I said, there's just so many levels to this book that for such a short novel, he packs a lot into there. Yeah, he really did a lot with that. I, th- I mean, yes, to your point, like there are a lot of really just beautiful and kind of heartbreaking moments yeah. of you know being told he's not Mexican enough, but also of course not American enough yeah, either. Yeah, exactly. Know? And then it's just like, well, what do you do with yeah. that then? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also he, there were some really heartfelt moments, like when he's talking to Vera and, you know, some really poignant lines about her not being there and he's trying to, he wants to show her something and, you know, he, he turns to her to, to, to see this, this beautiful mountain range and she's not there. And it sort of broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. That is heartbreaking. Gabino, how did it, that affect you reading that, you know, that very specific point of view? I, I think there's a something very beautiful happening in, in genre fiction overall, which mm-hmm. was for years, let's take horror because it's a horror book. Uh, it was about white folks writing about fear of the other. And then there was a little transition and then folks, you know, us, people of color realized we can write, we can write horror. So it was for a little bit sort of a response to that. And now it's kind of like, we're going to take perspectives um, and we're not going to jam them down your throat. If I am a trans woman and I write a horror book and my main character is a trans woman, the book is not about being a trans woman, but a trans woman is the main character. And that's what we got here. Yeah. Like that un, un-Mexican-ness, mm-hmm. like the, the being caught in the interstitial space between cultures. Um, he doesn't go on and on and on about it for, for pages trying to drive the point home. It's sort of like, hey, by the way, this is one of the things that affects my life and, and this is my, my personal identity and my experience. Um, and, and Javier just said, like, some people will read it and they will skip over it mm-hmm. because it doesn't, you know, have anything to do with them. And some other folks will go like, wow, this, this is kind of like me in this book. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that, that helps a lot of, of, of readers sort of develop even more empathy for the character and, and yeah. you know, see themselves in those pages, which is a powerful thing to do. Well, and I think to your point too, it also doesn't like fixate on the trauma of being Mexican mm-hmm. or, you know, which like so often books about marginalized people tended to be, or at least that's what pe- publishers thought a white audience was interested yeah, in, yeah. you know? So Gabino, I'm especially curious given your review and, and you just talked about this a little bit, but like, I wonder if we can zoom out a little more even and talk about like what this thing between us is doing that kind of like honors the horror genre and what it's doing that's completely fucking out of this world. I mean, you know, we even heard from a listener 
Anna, who was like, oh, I see Cujo vibes. You know, I mean, that's probably a more obvious one. But yeah, I was just curious if you can kind of talk about that a little. Uh, yeah. And, and, and she, I mean, uh, uh, she nailed it. It's it's a little bit of Cujo mixed mm-hmm. in with, with a pet cemetery, mm-hmm. right? Uh, <laughs> the, the, the dog is coming back to attack you in the car. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then the last, the last third of, of the novel, it's kind of this Lovecraft's dream cycle type of thing, but uh, on the on the large, you know, the large sphere, it's uh, it's tipping its hat. It's like this little wink, like you know what? I know the genre. I've read it. I know some of the things that we do. Mm. Um, and then it goes in its own direction, and it's like, hey, one of the things that I've been talking a lot about lately is, is paraphrasing the great Stephen Graham Jones. Mm-hmm. Genre fiction novels tend to be like a cake. Like you see the genre stuff on top, which is like the frosting, and then you you bite into it and you go like, holy hell, what is this thing on the inside? Um, so it's like, you know, I have a possessed little, you know, gadget in my home, and there's like lights and, and steps and whatever, and um then you get the grief and then you get the identity and then you get the, the loneliness and then you get the dealing with loss and how it shatters this man um and and this book goes that way and not all horror fiction does that um sometimes i think we're a little bit afraid of putting too much emotion into that we know we need enough to to create um empathy for our characters hmm. uh but sometimes you will read a novel that's just uh, trying to have fun and talk about zombies or haunted houses on, or werewolves. Um, and Gus, Gus had other ideas. He had really good ideas. And he thought, you know, the best way for me to deliver this cake is I'm going to put all this creepy shit on top of it to make it nice. Uh, and then when people bite into it, they're going to be like, what is this? This hits on another emotional level that I wasn't expecting. Um, and to pull that off, to, to say... If you like creepy books and haunted house stories and like sort of poltergeist-ish action, this book is for you. And if you want like serious, profound, you know, soul-touching literature, this book is also yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, to pull that off is uh, um, in a debut. Super impressive. Yeah, it's wild. It's funny. That reminds me of something we talk about a lot in like journalism, which is that you want to give people both the bacon and the Brussels sprouts, you know, like it helps if you put the bacon on the Brussels sprouts because then people will eat the Brussels sprouts. Yeah. I feel like it's sort of a similar, you know, it's like you got to entice them with whatever works, you know. Um, So I want to ask both of you about more recommendations, but first let's do our completely arbitrary rating system of this book. Uh, we decided this time around to do mysterious milkshakes. Okay. <laughs> um, so from one to 10 mysterious milkshakes, Javier, what would you give this book? You know, I'm going to give it a 10. Nice. I cannot stop talking about this book. Anybody that comes in that even walks past it, I'm going to get into their hands, you know? Like, hey, yeah, exactly. did you see this? Yeah, you have to see this. That's awesome. What do you think, Abina? I'm going to go with the nine. And here's why. Um, I'm also a writer and I think insecurity drives us to, to try harder. Um, so if I told Gus, this is a 10, this is perfect. You're like, you fucking nailed it. He's going to just rest on his laurels and not try. <laughs> so Gus, you almost yeah, nailed exactly. it perfectly. <laughs> try harder and write faster so we can That's read hilarious. the next one. Uh, so nine, 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 nine. Yeah, you got to drive them. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I love that so much. I think I'm going to give it eight just because this is like it got a little weirder than is usually in my comfort zone. But that's more about my taste than about his skill. You know, I completely recognize the skill that went into it. And to your point, Gubino, I kind of like the idea of being like, come on, man, you can do it. <laughs> right. Right. Try harder. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get that next one. That's amazing. Um, so since you are both such fans of the genre, I'm curious if you have other recommendations for books that or for cakes, we can keep using that analogy, <laughs> yeah, like for stuff where, you know, the frosting may seem like it's going to be kind of your standard fare. But then when you get to the cake, you're like, holy shit, this is <laughs> wild. What do you think of Bino? Um, so I, I like books that, uh, make me kind of frown when I pick them up uh, and then I fall in love and I'm reading, I got like two pages left on uh, uh, Jason Reculek's Hidden Pictures. Um, if you've seen any sort of horror movie, there's always like a creepy kid that draws weird yeah. stuff. <laughs> and this book is that. It's a, it's a brilliant novel about a five-year-old uh, who starts drawing like beheaded people and, 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 weird stuff in the house and then it escalates into something that i'd never read before um and uh, it's also about addiction and, and trying to get your life together and a whole bunch of other things um if we're going to speak about a whole bunch of other things quote unquote uh i'm reading echo by uh thomas old hubelt and I don't know what it's about. And I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about a guy who might have killed somebody in a mountain, but then he fell down and he lost his face and oh, somehow wow. survived. What? And, and it, he's, in a, uh, he's a gay dude. And then the boyfriend runs away because he's scared of what's happening. Um, and I'm still not sure what it's about, but the fact that I'm still reading uh, says a lot. <laughs> uh, Javier, what do you think? I did think about some older stuff, but that's okay. Cool, yeah. I really, um, one that does come to mind, and uh, she was just in town, uh, used to be a, a bookseller at Women and Children First, uh, Jack Gems, mm. and she wrote one of my favorite uh, sort of haunted house novels, The Grip of It. If you're into Shirley Jackson, you're going to love this. It's about a couple who uh, escape to, from the city to the country, they buy a house, they're going to, they have some issues with their marriage, and uh things just start happening where they start to doubt each other. And there's some really incredibly visceral scenes in there where I felt like I was in the room watching things happen that were so bone chilling. And uh, The Changeling by Victor Laval, uh, which is, I think is going to be made into a series on HBO. Um, and it's basically about, it, 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 it's an interesting book that deals with uh, postpartum depression and, uh, and failed marriages and, uh, once again, the imagery and some of the scenes are like, they're like when you, you know, when you see something out of the corner of your eye and, and you look back and you think, did I see that? Or did that really happen? And there are scenes like that in this book. And there's like a third of the way through the book, there's a, a bone jarring scene, which I had to go back and read over again. I thought that it was a dream sequence, but then the next chapter started and it was, and it wasn't. And I was so blown away by this horrible, horrific, violent scene that really just made me like my skin crawl. In one book, just because we had uh, John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats, we went to go meet him at Talia Hall to sign a, a bunch of his books. And um, but, uh, Wolf and White Van is still one of my go-tos. Like, it's such a weird book because, uh, like Gabino said, it's like it's it's a book that you don't know what's going to happen. The less you know going in, the better. And uh, it's just it's about this guy who something happens to him, and he's you know he's a, a horrible accident or incident, 
has happened to him and he's looking back uh he had created this uh this uh sort of text-based role-playing game called trace italian and you play through the mail which is really really weird and cool um hmm. but two people that took it it's this role-playing game um that's on paper but it's like a ravaged post-apocalyptic america and these two young kids <laughs> of course i know right <laughs> and these two young kids take it seriously and try to trace the steps and something happens to them and he has to account for it mm. and i mean the, wow. and this is a national book award long list i think in 2014 um but i can't it's just such a weird book that it defies all convention Wow, those are all great recommendations. I can't wait to try some of them. Thanks so much for both of you for coming on and talking to me about this exquisitely weird, great book. This was really fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. that's it for this month's book club thank you all for reading and listening along as always and extra special book nerd thanks to stephanie and christina and ava and anna for calling in now this is normally when i would tell you what next month's book is but we are actually going to take the summer off from book club don't worry next week we are going to have an episode with our very enthusiastic book nerd friend liberty hardy She is going to give you a whole bunch of summer reading recommendations to help tide you over. And we will be back in September, ready to go with more book club. Nerdette Book Club is supported by Audible. You can find this month's book there. Get started by going to audible.com slash nerdette or text nerdette to 500-500. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Maggie Sibbett builds our delightful newsletter every week. You can get that when you sign up at wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. And Brendan Banaszak is our executive producer. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.